0: Hello. And welcome everyone to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This show is a weekly look at the wide world of Disney films. From sea to sh- shining sea, from old to new, black and white to color, soup to nuts, everywhere in between. We plan to cover all the Disney films here as well as other topics of interest, films related to Disney. And who knows, we might even surprise you sometimes and come up with a topic completely unrelated to anything. Like the geopolitical ramifications of Irish folk uh, who are tiny and live in a mountain. Uh, I am your host, Ryan Kilpatrick, the proprietor of DisneyFilmProject.com, the site where I try to review all the Disney films, shorts, and features in chronological order. Uh, I'm a little behind on that. Bear with me. Uh, with me, as always, the finest film buffs ever. That's right. Ever. Ever known. Anyone. Uh, I, I, I know Robert Osborne from TCM personally. He told me he defers to these two. Mr. Todd <laughs> Perlmutter. Blogger at touringplans.com, chief technical officer at disneydrivenlife.com, probably master of ceremonies for another hundred dot coms we don't even know about. How are you, sir? I'm doing great.
1: I have a question for you, Ryan.
0: Yes, sir. Are you a pretty Irish boy? I am. (laughs) Uh, That's what my wife tells me. (laughs) And she wouldn't lie, right? Yeah, maybe. Just a little. (laughs) I don't like you, um, <laughs> Diana Alessio, the magnificent blog mistress from the Adventures of Bree at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com. Hello, Bree.
2: Hey, Ryan. How are you?
0: I, I am well. Uh, did you enjoy the film? I know you just finished it, like what, ten minutes ago or something? About
2: ten minutes ago. Yeah. It was so, so It was kind of like rushing. I was actually watching it while eating dinner. But um, yeah. I, I felt like eating corn, beef and cabbage after watching this.
0: Me too. This. is... <laughs> This, this movie did make me uh, hungry and thirsty, but we'll get to that. There we uh, go. Miss Cheryl Perlmutter is not with us, uh, so I'm sure she's cursing our name as she listens back to this and hears our incoherent ramblings as it tries to to edit it into some reasonable facsimile of coherence. So apologies, Cheryl, and uh, we you are greatly missed this evening. We miss you, Cheryl. I'll see her soon. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so, but... <laughs> I miss her though, too. I, I, I don't intend to pry, but I would hope you'd he see her soon. Um, <laughs> tonight, we are discussing the fine, fine Irish film Top of the Morning to Y'all Darby O'Gill and the Little People. How was that? Is that a good Irish film? That article?
2: was a nice Irish bro. I liked it, that. yeah.
0: It's better than Sean Connery's. <laughs> so, uh,
2: that's just not nice.
0: No, it's not. But it's true. <laughs> I wonder if Sean Connery made the list of uh, worst accents along with Dick Van Dyke for his first for Irish. I doubt it, though. No, no, no. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: so we are talking about Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It's a uh, film from 1959 by Walt Disney Productions. Uh, it, it began because Walt took a visit to Ireland in the, the Irish Folklore Commission, which I did not realize that there was a folklore commission. I wonder if we have one of those. I um, think we should. I agree. Absolutely. Let's, let's get those jobs. <laughs> Changing the name of the film to the uh, show to the uh, Disney Folklore Commission <laughs> from now forward. Uh, no, but uh, Disney visited Ireland in 1947, and uh, they asked him to to work to make some shorts or films or something based on Irish folklore and um, – Sadly for them, uh, Walt decided not to do that. Instead, he adapted a collection of stories by, and I'm going to butcher this name, but Herm- Hermanine Templeton Cavanaugh, who wrote a collection of stories called Darby O'Gill and the Good People. Um, so a lot of the things that were in that collection of stories led to this film, which was... Uh, a wonderful, wonderful
1: film. I, I, I love the little blurb in the beginning of the book, too. I just wanted to read it. It's oh, uh, it's 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 just, these adventures were first related to me by Mr. Jerry Murtaugh, a reliable car driver who goes between Kilcone and Bellenderg. I'm sorry if I butchered those. He is a first cousin of Darby O'Gill's own mother.
0: Impressive. I like that. <laughs> well it's interesting because so I mean we'll start talking about the film but that's that's interesting I didn't know that but you know if you look at the beginning of the movie you know there's the credits over the scenes of the town and there's a credit to the king of the leprechauns from Walt Disney for allowing him to film them and make this movie so it's kind of it, carried that tradition forward a little bit. I, I,
1: yes, that's also good. That goes, uh, my thanks to King Brian of Knocknashiga and his leprechauns, whose gracious cooperation made this picture possible, which is very typical Walt Disney, you know,
0: Oh, he was always looking for a way to to market the films and and find some neat little, you know, magical aspect to pick out. And and they definitely did it with this one. They actually did an episode of uh, the Disneyland TV show where uh, Albert Sharp, the actor who played Darby O'Gill, starred with Walt. And the story of the show was him going to find uh, Brian Connors, the king of the little people, and convincing him that uh, they needed to be in the movie. (laughs)
2: Oh, <laughs> nice.
0: I, <like> that. <laughs> I, I, I tried to track it down and see if I could I could watch it but I, I didn't I didn't find a copy but anyone out there in Radioland if you have a copy of that episode of the Disneyland TV show I would love to see it because I love this
1: movie yes just tweet it to at this film project and we'll
0: yes. get it and we'll love you yes. for it yes for sure. exactly yes uh, so the the basic uh plot of this the plot of the film is actually pretty simple but it's really well done um throughout the the, the town that that we refer to in the opening credits is the town of uh, Rathcullen, County Kerry, uh, in in Ireland. And Darby O'Gill, who's the lead character, of course, played by Albert Sharp, who was magnificent in the film, uh, is the caretaker of the of a large estate where he uh, lives in the gatehouse with his daughter Katie, and he spends his time, um, you know, taking care of the manor. Or that's the way he's supposed to spend his time. Let's put it. <laughs> Uh, He actually spends most of his time doing one of two things. He's either in the pub or public house uh, telling tales of how he has interacted with the leprechauns in the past. Or he's spending his time trying to find the leprechaun and trap the king of the leprechauns, Brian Connors. Uh, So, of course, his lordship, uh, I believe his name is Lord Fitzpatrick. Can I get that yes,
1: you got it, Lord Fitzpatrick.
0: Yes, um, so that's you know not a common Irish name at all, Fitzpatrick, of course.
2: <laughs> <laughs> More Italian sounding. Actually.
0: Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you uh, if you do not like Irish culture, which I don't know why you would, or if you don't, you know, you don't get Irishism. There's
2: something wrong with you if you don't. That's all. I'm that,
0: saying. Uh, but you're not gonna like this movie. Um, and I guess <laughs> also we should also warn people that like you know this one's not an easy one to find and watch. So if you're listening to the show and you ha- and you really want to go watch the movie, we're about to get to the part where we're going to spoil things. So I will recommend and and Brie, you did this earlier today. Go mm-hmm. to DisneyMoviesOnline.com, dot com, and you can rent the movie for four dollars and watch it there. And it works what? really well. Oh, what you she,
1: she got ripped off though. Amazon dot com two dollars.
2: Amazon dot com would not work for me.
0: That's right. Oh really? Oh, yeah. I did not know this. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't work for her. So we had a we had a last minute emergency uh, deal trying to get. But have you yeah. been to Disney movies online, Todd? I, I do. In fact,
1: what I what I love about Disney movies online site is that um, when you you register your movies, and if they have if they're one of the one movies that comes with a digital copy, you end up with the online copy for free, yep. and can like watch it in any web browser if you already have it. So it's it's awesome. And then once you buy them, they're there. They're in your online library forever. Yeah, as far as I can tell
0: well and there's 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 all kinds of movies there that you cannot get on DVD so there's things like I and I know we're off topic but I have to give Disney props on this one, but there's movies like The Sword and the Rose, which is um, one of the early British films that was filmed uh, when all of Walt's money was tied up overseas, which is one I want to eventually get to. Um, There's, there's all kinds of films on that site that are not out on DVD that you can't go find anywhere uh, that you could you know, know, for $4, you can watch these films that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else um, that, you know, I haven't seen them all, but I'm assuming you know they're Disney quality films. So I'm actually really excited to go see some of those movies.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, think, I think Disney is just really on top of the whole movement towards digital stuff. I mean, but it's not surprising because they're in
0: bed with Apple and everything like that. So absolutely. Yeah, that's, I, that was interesting. Again, we're off topic here, but it was interesting that I could not find this movie in iTunes because I know really? it, was there, it was there at one point, but uh, I, I didn't see Darby O'Gill there. Maybe, maybe
1: yeah. the sales were little. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow, Todd.
0: We set him up now, that one, didn't we, Brie?
2: Yeah. Um. <laughs> to get back into the movie, Ryan, I must ask, do we have to call you now Lord Kilpatrick?
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, I'll leave it to you. You do what you okay. want to do. But, you know, hey, it wouldn't hurt.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Just checking.
0: Okay. Just checking. So okay, so back into the film. All right, I'm going to give you folks. If you have not seen the movie, you need to go see it because it's really good. Uh, but I am now. We are now going to start spoiling the movie. So nothing I've said to this point will spoil it. From this point forward, it's possible you may get spoiled on the movie. And now we'll start. Um, so what happens with Darby is he's past his prime as a laborer. He can't. He can't do the things he used to do. He does, he's not really keeping up the manner in the same way that that he used to. And so the Lord Fitzpatrick shows up and I would say fires him, but he – I mean he fires him and offers to let him live on the live on the property for half-rent for the rest of his life. Uh, so not exactly a firing per se. <laughs> like a, a little retirement package. Right, exactly. Um, and, and when he does this, he does it with <coughs> Michael McBride, who is played by the wonderful Sean Connery. In one of his Whoop. roles. <laughs> There's nothing like a Scottishman playing an Irishman, <laughs> just saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's> right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and rumor has it this is the film that brought Connery to the attention of one Albert R. Broccoli, um, who, who would then be the producer of, of a famous series of films. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, James Bond.
2: Oh, oh yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So he he went on to play, uh, what is it, 007, I believe, is the character's name. Give or take a zero. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Uh, obviously being sarcastic there. But yes, Sean Connery, of course, is most famously known for his portrayal of James Bond. But th- uh, this was before that. And uh, hopefully, I believe, this brought him to the attention of the Broccolis to become James Bond. But uh, he plays the character Michael McBride that Lord Fitzpatrick brings in to to run the place. But Darby is a very prideful man. And he does not want his daughter Katie, played by the lovely and talented Miss Janet Monroe, um, to, to know that he's been sacked in the in the parlance uh, so he decides to bring in Michael as quote unquote a helper and uh, portrays it to Katie that way and uh, Michael Michael doesn't like that plan uh, from the get-go I, I have to hand it to uh, to to Michael he he's, he's not real into that plan and of course he turns out to be right later on that that was a bad plan <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> that's one way to put it. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Darby has a lot of bad plans. Yeah, not.
1: Nah, you know, for someone who's so smart, he's kind of sort of dumb. Yeah,
0: that's a good way to put it. And that's why we love him. Yes. Indeed. He is a very lovable character. I mean, Albert Sharp portrays him with. I mean, he's got that little bit of, of old man mischief to him. You know what I mean? Like that Absolutely. That twinkle in his eye that's. Oh, it's, it, I mean, he, he does a fantastic job.
1: You could really picture just sitting there and listening to him tell these absurd stories and just loving it while drinking. You know, you could <laughs> oh, just absolutely.
0: picture it. Yeah. Oh, and I have to say, I mean, the the part comes where he's he he's telling he's in the public house or the pub, telling the story of um, how the first time that he captured King Brian the Leprechaun, and uh, he's telling the story of how he he had three wishes, and he. Uh, made a fourth wish, inadvertently, the leprechaun tricked him into that, and only get three wishes, so the fourth wish negates everything else that he wished for. Uh, And so he's telling that story in the pub, and I I was just sitting there watching that part of the film, like, I I just need a Guinness to sit here and listen to this. this."
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, It's it's a very cool scene. I mean, overall, it's a very good way to introduce the concept of what's going to go on for the rest of the movie, basically. Right
0: yeah it's 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 a fantastic and the great thing is is that you could have put just him telling the story uh and that would have been fine. it would have been a good scene but the the stuff that happens in that story comes back later, which is a really fantastic way of tying the plot together um I would have to say like this is probably the tightest script of of the live action films that I've seen in a while so i mean like it's much more like every piece is much more essential to the story than like say the love bug or mary poppins or or some of the other live action films it's very very compact yeah well, they don't not...
2: bring in a whole bunch of outside facts they just keep to the main few select
1: it also even though it's an absurd concept it 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 is that there's this underlying real life story going on despite the absurdity of the leprechauns and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean it's it's absurd good it's just you know, they're leprechauns.
0: Well, it's it's something that we talked about in the Sorcerer's Apprentice, right? We talked about how you know it's fine to have magic in a realistic world, but you have to have rules and structure to it, and you right. don't, and you don't break those rules. And that's they do that fantastically in this film.
1: A- absolutely, there's there's a lot of really cool go- things on here. But you know what? I started when I did research on on it, which we'll get to as we go. I've, I discovered that whoever did the background for this movie, the the mystical side of it, really must have been reading the same web page as I had 50 years ago
0: wow time-traveling <laughs> script writers
1: I, I know no, it, it's, it's 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 no I mean but you, you know you know what I'm saying is it is it's funny because like there were every time there was like a word that was used I would go and look it up and find it and dig it up and it's they're all it's like dead on accurate in this movie it's it's really well done in that respect
0: yeah, it pulls directly from Irish folklore. So, I mean, even though Walt might have disappointed the folklore commission, I mean, the things that are in here are direct stuff from... Because I looked up a lot of the concepts and things, so, I mean, that actually goes into the next thing we're we're talking about, is the night after Michael shows up, um, Darby is chasing his horse, Cleopatra, and Cleopatra is actually what's referred to in Irish folklore as a puka. Yes. Which is... A sort of like a goblin fairy folk type thing that is a shapeshifter, um, and it's not referred to in the film as such. At least I didn't hear it. No, no. So the second when when Katie at the end
1: when Katie's running up the hill, he mentions that she'll be chasing after a Puka. He does ah, mention it, okay, but when there you he go. goes after it, he doesn't realize it until after it happens to him. What? that it's going to happen to her also. Gotcha. Um, in fact, that's why I went and looked it up because that was actually how I got on the whole thing of it. And it's funny because their most common form is a horse. So again, it's it was a really well thought out thing.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's, and it's fabulous. I mean, and the, the effects are cheesy, right? It's just a little thing with the reversing the film and the reversing the negative and showing the colors on the horse. But it works in this right. particular, you know, in this vein. Um, but what happens is that um, Cleopatra... The horse kind of knocks Darby into the mountain of Not right. uh where King Brian the leprechaun is, and his, and his uh, wee folk are living. But it's and intentional. Exactly, yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. It is intentional because King Brian heard about what happened to Darby, how he got fired, and decided that, you know what, to spare him the embarrassment, you can just come stay with us. But the problem with that is he can't leave. Right. Well, it's
1: important to know that King Brian is not king of just the leprechauns; he's the king of all fa- all fairies. Right. Okay. Thanks. So that includes the puka and later on the banshee and everything. He is in charge of them. Okay. So that's that's a very important because it plays into the end. So indeed. Uh, Wait,
2: he's. Oh, never no, mind. I'll ask later. Okay.
1: No, go ask ahead now.
0: Please. Ask now.
2: No, I was going to ask if if he was in charge of the the death chariot but he's not I, well, he said No, he cuz that's, send a, that's a
0: whole separate yeah thing. the de- the death chariot and the banshee are two different okay. things one that's, but we'll get there yeah um but they're they're tied together but they're not they have different uh they have a different org chart
2: yeah cuz i have some questions later about the
0: banshee <laughs> <laughs> Org chart. Somebody needs to draw that, draw that org chart. The Banshee reports into the VP of uh, Whalings. and, and reports into to do King that. Brian. Yeah, no, Todd, Todd's God right to <laughs> Todd sketched it on the wall, just like he did with Sorcerer's Apprentice, trying to figure out the story. That's right. Um, <laughs> So Darby goes into the mountain, uh, and King Brian. It's important to know that King Brian, even though he's done this "quote unquote" horrible thing by trying to trap Darby in the mountain, he's trying to do something nice in his own way. He's trying to keep Darby from having to admit to his daughter what's happened to him and lose his pride. Uh, you know, he's trying to to do the right thing. But of course, Darby doesn't see it that way he wants to go back to his daughter and you know run out uh, and and get out but he can't get out he so instead he tricks king brian and the leprechauns by picking up a violin that uh the king brings him a a real stradivarius no no less yeah uh and plays uh the fox chase and and of course as we all know leprechauns cannot resist a fox chase
1: yeah, well, it, it's he makes the comment. What is it? There are there are three things. But I haven't I have written down. Um, there are three things: dancing, whiskey, and hunting. Those are the three <laughs> things leprechauns absolutely love more than anything else in the world. I was like, <laughs> awesome! It's all three going on at once. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, let me get it: dancing, whiskey, and hunting. Yes. All right.
1: That's that's I, literally what he. That's literally what. Uh, that's that he right before playing. He gives that little speech, and that's what that's what he says.
0: Interesting. Okay,
2: I'm only an advocate of one of those, and those of you who know me really well know which one of those three it is.
0: Definitely yeah. the whiskey. We've been <laughs> have an intervention, brief. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Whole other show.
2: Whole <laughs> other oh, show. Oh goodness. <laughs> I,
1: I, there, there are some interesting things that go on throughout this. First of all, like one, this is, what what Brian's done to um Darby is called the Come Hither, which. And and it's just like a, it's like a mini spell that's put on him where he uses everything in his power to bring him to to bring Darby to him. That's basically what's how he got here. Um, interesting things are you learn you learn along the way between all this that Brian is five thousand years old and he's got a trick he's learned a trick against humans for every year he's been alive. So that means he's got five thousand ways to fool you, and he
0: does a good job of that to Darby. Yes, he does. Uh, he sure does.
2: Tricking Darby couldn't have been that
0: hard. I don't know. Now you say yeah. that, but Darby—Darby Darby does a good job of tricking the king. That's actually what happens. True. After, you know, Darby. Um, when the king—the king—comes to get him after Darby has escaped because of the the leprechauns get on their horses and and run out of the mountain for this fox chase, and Darby gets out of the mountain as well, and the king comes and you know angrily to fetch him and bring him back, but Darby. Darby's a a, sh- a sharp one. He pulls out the whiskey, um, which I know that's what you would have done, Brie. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I keep
2: extra. I keep extra attached to my belt buckle.
0: Right in a jug like that size. It, yeah.
2: Yeah. No. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um,
2: it's it's the norm walking around town here. Just
0: sure. It's kind of like the Saint Bernards <laughs> in the old cartoons that had the little thing around their around their necks.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Spig- yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I get and it. And I am
2: an Aquarius, so apparently that ma- that makes me whiskey carrier. I don't know.
0: There you go. See, it all comes together. It does. But uh, Darby pulls out this this jug of whiskey and starts giving Brian uh, the whiskey, and they start drinking and singing uh, an Irish drinking song. Which, you've, if you've ever known any true Irishman if you get started drinking and singing Irish drinking songs, it goes on for quite some time, and I be- And the the goal of this is Brian. If he is out during sunset, or, or rather until uh, sunrise, he is stripped of his powers until the next sunset. Which means yes. Darby has captured him, and he gets three wishes. That's the way it works. If you capture the leprechaun, you get three wishes. Uh, so of course that that's what happens. And I believe they're on verse eighty three when they get to sunrise. Is it? That- I'm. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, I was I counting I on you to count here, Todd. Well, I... you
1: know, you know what my problem is. Is is I at this point in the movie, I'm still freaked out by the leprechaun horses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the miniature white horses scare you. Is what, we, what we found. Oh.
2: I, I, you know what that reminds me of, actually. Do you? You guys remember the movie Indian in the cupboard?
1: Yes. Oh yes. That's yes, that's it. awesome. Yeah. Good movie. Is yeah. that a Disney it, movie? No. Yes, it is. <gasps>
2: We
0: should do that. Okay, I'm done. All right, Cheryl, If you're editing this, put that on the uh, put that on the calendar.
1: Yes, and please they, do. They, and they play against that in Night of the Museum. They pay homage to that as well.
0: Yes. Uh, but so Darby, see, he's not that he's he's not that dumb, Bree. He he tricks oh. King Brian, and then even his first wish is a good wish because. He, his first wish is that King Brian not return to the mountain and that he is at Darby's beck and call for two weeks or a fortnight, if you will. Um, so that's a good wish. Yeah. That's
2: true. Yeah, yeah, you have a point. Yeah. I bow to you, Lord Kilpatrick.
1: But it has a side effect, which we'll learn about. Indeed. Can, uh, can we can – we, um, there's some things I wanted to cover really quick because there's actually – in the if you back up to the cave – there's actually some really interesting lore in there regarding leprechauns and the whole background of Ireland. Um, there are four items that are referenced, okay one of them is the throne of Fergus Mcleader. now Fergus Mcleader is the son of Letty and this is this is the story of the first leprechaun tale that was ever told okay and that's what this is paying homage to it is because he was a king and he you know and he encounters a leprechaun very first leprechaun story. Um, then they had the so- so- sword of Brian Baru. Now Brian Baru ran the Danes out of out of Ireland when they attacked, and he had and he, that's what he did was he had his cross in one hand, and it was like one of those big Mondo crosses that you might see on the top of a church back then, and he had his sword in the other hand, and he would just charge through people like this, and they would run, and that was what he was famous for. Um, the Cup of Cormac is probably the most interesting one because there's um the the cup works like this. It was used um, at the by, um, by Cormac to tell, to run his kingdom, basically, because it could detect when people were lying, when people were telling the truth, okay? If it encountered three lies, it would fall apart into three pieces, okay? If it encountered three truths, it would join back together as a whole cup and filled with, filled with wine. So that, that's actually its magical properties. And then the harp of Tara actually comes from a, um, a tune called The Harp That once Through Tara's Halls, and he actually says that. It's a reference to its song, Right. Um, and so the you know, it's you know, No More Chiefs and Ladies Bright, the Harp of Tower Swells, The Court Alone That Breaks at Night, It's Tales of Ruin Tells. That's exactly what he quotes in the movie, right? That's it's literally a poem, so Thomas More for people who want to look it up. So just figured I'd cover those four items. So there, again, that that research, that con- consistency is all right there.
0: I I did not look all that stuff up because I had a feeling that I that you would. <laughs> but I am going to go read about it now.
2: Yeah. Can I just make a quick mention too of a scene that I liked? I actually wrote it down because I, I was cracking up. Um, rewinding now, before the cave scene, the first scene in the bar where um, Darby the and King Boyan, I'm sorry, where Rath
0: Cullen uh, pub or what? It,
2: <laughs> what?
0: It's the, it's it's the it's Rath it. pub.
2: Oh, the, yeah, that's it.
0: Please get the terminology right. It is a pub.
2: I know. I'm sorry. Pub. I should know this with Irish blood, but anyway, I would I- hope. Yeah,
0: you um, just carry your whiskey with you, so you don't ever have to go to the pub. So you know. that's
2: true. Pub is ingrained in my on my forehead. Um, so you when know, Katie goes in and grabs her father's hand and drags him out of the bar, I love that scene because it seems so realistic. She's yeah. screaming at him and he's yelling at her with his Irish brogue, and I think he's using Irish words as well.
0: He,
1: he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few times in the movie, yes, there were things that I could not understand, and I just let it go. <laughs>
0: I I loved I loved that part because we haven't touched on the character of Pony Sugru, uh, which sounds like a crazy name, but you know, uh, it, it is an Irish name. But Pony Sugru is kind of the antagonist for the film. He he's the one who his scheming old mother actually shows up in the very first scene, and and she's trying to get Pony to be the new caretaker and get rid of Darby. Um, yep. Pony is in the pub uh, during that part, and what what cracked me up what. Made me laugh almost as hard as anything in the film is uh, the bartender Darby's telling the story we talked about earlier about how he captured King Brian the first time and uh, Pony is of course trying to mock him and, and cast him as like this guy's crazy whereas everyone else in the pub is listening you know with rapt attention and the bar the the I assume the owner of the bar or the bartender or, or the pub rather um, the bartender or the owner of the pub uh, tells, tells Pony he can't have any more whiskey uh, or, or, I'm sorry, he says, you can't have any more to drink. And, and so Pony switches from whiskey to Guinness. <laughs> yes. He does. he does, yes. <laughs> he says, it's okay, you can have a stout, which is a Guinness, uh, but you can't have any more to drink. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know.
2: See, now Pony, normally, because he's like the Gaston of the film... Like normally, I wouldn't go for that, but Pony just melts my heart. I love him.
1: Really, because he there's a, there's a Gaston and Belle moment that right there in the in the when he drives her home from the dance. I mean, literally, I that's very similar. You know, it's he's just, forcing herself himself on
0: her, and
2: yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm just yeah, I, I I fell for the Pony
0: over Sean Connery. Over Sean Connery. Wow.
1: I know. I did not see that coming. Yeah, can can I? Um, one thing I want to mention since you just mentioned Sean Connery is is. Um, Michael McBride and Katie O'Gill are really an awesome couple. I mean, they look great together. They both have infectious smiles. I,
0: agree. I mean, they're
1: they're just like a quintessential yes. movie couple. I, and I, it's a shame that you this is the only time you ever see them.
0: <laughs> well, I, I could not agree more. I was I was actually just about to say, like like ladies, if you want some eye candy, Bree, am, am I right? He's
2: right. He's right, yeah. people.
0: Yeah, this is a movie for you between Pony and Sean Connery. <laughs> I don't know. Under- Pony Suguru is played by uh, Kieran Moore. Um, so go- Google Foo, everybody, and, and go look up Kieran Moore. I don't think anyone needs to be reminded of the looks of a young Sean Connery. But uh, guys, the, the lovely and talented Miss Janet Monroe as Katie O'Gill is just, she lights up the screen when she's on, on screen. Would you agree, Todd?
1: She's um, a pretty young lady, but. Did did she do anything besides? Um, what did she do? Um, Swiss so Family Robinson. After this, right? Right. Yeah. Was that the, was was about that the only other Disney film she did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily talking. I mean, she is a very pretty young lady, but she just has a charm and a smile to her. A flirtatiousness almost. It's just she's very commanding when she's on screen. You, you can't you can't really look away from her. You know she t- she definitely draws your attention, uh, and she has a just you know the c- kind of playfulness and the smile about her. And she even,
2: actually reminded me of a young Maureen O'Hara in The Quiet Man.
0: Ooh, good call. Yeah. Yeah, I can bit.
2: see that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I I just. I, I had not like I said I hadn't seen the film in, in a long long time and I had forgotten of, of how how good a performance it is by her. Um uh, and and it, that may just be her actual personality like cuz we haven't seen her in anything else but I just thought you know <laughs> she she did a really great job at capturing that young girl, you know playfulness yet there's definitely an undercurrent there of you know taking care of her father and you know knowing of the things that you know hey my dad's not the best man ever but you know he's my father and all that kind of stuff you could that's it's never just called out in the film but it's there you can you can see it in her performance so i thought you know she just does a really really good job Um, the film
2: was definitely well cast and you can tell that walt had a huge part to do with that
0: absolutely absolutely
1: you did go Sorry. Oh, the, the Widow, the widow Segrue Now, she's Estelle Winwood. Now, Estelle Winwood is just like a very, you know, well-acted actress, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's been in tons of stuff. I mean, I always like to mention the TV things because, you know, that's how you remember these people best when you're younger. It's because you get your first exposure to them is almost always, especially when you grew up in the 70s and 80s like I did, is your first exposure to these people is always in, on television and then you find them in the movies later on. So, um, you know, she was, she was on Bewitched. She was in Chantra, which was one of um, the, aunt, the aunts that were in, the, in there. Uh, she also replayed almost the exact same role, but as Aunt Hilda on Batman. She was um, Marsha, Queen of Diamonds' aunt, and she, who was actually a witch. Very strange, but
0: there. <laughs> Interesting. Okay.
1: <laughs> she also went on to be in things like The Producers, um, another person who was on Love, Love American Style a few times. Everybody
0: um, was on Love American style. Yeah, you know,
1: if if you based like we said before, if you if you if you exited the 60s and went into the 70s as an actor actress, you did it through Love American style. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you know, she was just in little things here and there, you know, through 1980
0: and she passed on not long after that, so She she's evil in this movie. She
1: is. She's scheming. She's scheming evil though. You know, she's not like terrible evil.
0: No, she's, she's terrible.
2: Yeah, she's got a mother Gothel thing going
0: on. Yeah, oh, really? no, she's terrible evil. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I know, I know Darby played her out as complete and other other evil, but I wasn't convinced um, beyond you know beyond that. I mean, she didn't seem to be doing anything all that bad, other than trying to get Pony the job.
0: Yeah, but she was. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, Pony, Pony is is, is evil. And then she's. What would you say about my Pony evil? <laughs> 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 i be upset me about the pony.
1: I suppose you're right because she later on is the one who probably makes sure that the that the uh, letter was in such plain sight for Katie to see. Right. So that's really the truly evil thing that she does in the in the entire movie, I think, though. Thank
2: right. you for mentioning the letter. Can you guys clarify for me? Because I was a little bit confused at that point. Did someone forge someone's handwriting? Hand or No,
0: what? so what happened... Is, let me cover the next part of this film quickly, yeah, but uh, there's not, there's really not much before that before what we're talking about with the letter. But the, uh, King Brian is is in the, a sack that that Darby carries around, and he uh, tricks him into wasting his second wish because Michael is sitting next to him, uh, and. Darby is sitting on a bench and Michael looks into the sack and King Brian appears as a rabbit instead of as the tiny little leprechaun and Darby says, I wish you could see him and that wastes his second wish, which of course, uh, you know, the king had tricked him there and is trying to get him to use his third and last wish so that the king can go back into the mountain. Uh, but but Darby at least decides at that point, he's not going to use his third wish until Katie's happy. Uh, so the the king decides to visit michael and katie in in their sleep and convince them to fall in love with each other Um, which i don't think he had to push too hard on that no they were already
1: flirting before that because that's the whole pretty irish girl scene that happens outside which is for the for the ladies that would be your the scene that you you would want to see
0: yes
2: (laughs) yeah i'm gonna agree with that
0: (laughs) Which, so what happens is uh, Katie walks up to Michael, and Michael's cutting the, cutting the weeds with a scythe, and uh, he, he is singing a, an Irish song called Pretty Irish Girl, uh, and it's not actually Sean Connery singing, and it's not actually Janet Monroe singing at the end of the film when they re- <gasps> do it again. Shh, don't tell anybody. It's like a whole Zach Efron high school musical thing. Somebody else was doing the singing. Oh my god, did I ruin, <gasps> did I ruin that movie too? You did. Um, Only in the first movie. Only in the first movie. That's right. And I actually met the guy who sang for uh, for Zac Efron in the High School Musical movies. He did a concert for me. Oh! At my old job. Very nice, very nice young man. Drew Seeley's his name. Good guy. But anyway, that is not related at all to Darby O'Gill and the Little People. But I just thought everybody would like to know that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad I know it. Good. I'm a better person now.
0: Aren't you though? I'm writing it down.
2: There we go. I have said I'm writing it down. I know I would have
0: been. I would have been like, okay, cool on. Yeah. Uh, so Katie and Michael are, are of course, flirtatious with each other, and then we get to the letter part, it, which is uh, a letter comes from Lord Fitzpatrick, basically outlining what's happened. Sorry. I'm not really sure why the letter came. I couldn't I didn't get that. If it's just like giving him a certain time frame or – I think it's too Michael, correct?
1: It, it's to Michael, and I was under the impression that um, in the beginning Lord Fitzpatrick said he was going to be coming back in a few weeks, and so it was just a precursor to his coming back. That was why uh, Paul, uh, Pony was trying to uh, frame him.
0: Right. So what happens is this letter comes to the post office, and uh, Pony's mother intercepts the letter before it heads out to – uh, the gatehouse to where Dar- where Michael is staying with Darby and Katie. And sh- she goes and places it in a place where Katie will, will find it. Uh, uh, now, you know, sh- sharing the fact that uh, Michael is there to take Darby's place. He is not there to help him. And, of course, at that point, Katie uh, pulls, does what every woman would do in this situation and starts packing up and running away from Sean Connery. Nice. You nice. would have done Brie?
2: Um, no, actually, I would probably have sat down with him and had a conversation cuz I'm not usually the type to do something
0: rash. You're not the emotional fly off the handle type?
2: Normally not. It really takes pushing, pushing, pushing to throw me off the ledge,
0: if you will. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. This it, it's it's a very common um I I don't want to use the word trick but a common device in romantic stories of something of this nature, right, where a the the hero is introduced uh, under a misconception, and then of course that misconception gets cleared up, and that's kind of the 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 beginning of the third act conflict. Um, it's something that's used in you know romance novels, romantic comedies these days. You see it all the time, but it's a very common device that's that's used in romantic stories. So, uh, and it's done it's done really well here because you know from the very beginning when Darby tells Michael, you know, don't tell Katie you know what's gonna happen. So Katie runs off from Sean Connery, and um, she actually runs, and we talked about this at the beginning of the film, she runs trying to catch Cleopatra, the puka, who she doesn't know is a puka, but apparently Darby does, uh, and runs and, and ends up falling down. She falls uh, and hurts herself uh, very badly, actually. Uh, and And Darby chases after her, Uh, along with Michael, who Michael had not been able to stop her because the evil Pony Sugru had come by and knocked him upside the head and poured whiskey on him uh, to make it seem like he was drunk and framing him for when the Lord Fitzpatrick came back. Uh, But Darby's able to to grab him, and they run up the hill to to try and get Katie, which is where things begin to get a little silly, because the Banshee appears. (laughs) Woohoo And, and this is what, so I'm going to tell tales on these two, on, on Todd at least. Bree didn't say this, but when, when I said, let's do Darby O'Gill and the Little People, Todd goes, is that the movie with the Banshee? <laughs> <laughs> this is when the Banshee appears, and the Banshee is the herald of Katie's death. It, it, it's not, if you don't know what the Banshee is, that's, it's a little hard to, fi- to, to figure that out. I, so
2: it's not the Angel of Death?
0: No, it,
1: it's it's just it I, I kind of think of it as well if you think of the angel of death is terms of like um, someone who brings you to heaven or, or wherever then maybe but if you think of the angel of death as someone who smites you then not really because I get, get the feeling that she's just there to take Katie because um, she he makes Darby makes the comment that it's the same way the mother was taken yeah right so um. and he says taken he doesn't say killed he says taken.
0: Right, so. he says it, the banshee appeared the night that her mother was taken. And so, well, but what I think that refers to is so we, they pull Katie off the mountain and she's down in in the home uh, with a fever, Darby walks outside and I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Irish pronunciation of what it is, but it's the the death coach shows up and oh, the banshee I- shows up and and this it heralds the coming of the death coach, which is, you know, it's a, a the coach to Bauer by the way what he said it's really bad that i'm an irish person and i can't say this stuff yeah and todd is educating me on irish history i I'm feel, just still like like i know about guinness and i know about you know stews and yeah, i feel bad now i feel like not a whole irishman at this point but
1: if- <laughs> this may be the by the way this may be the only movie that it was ever actually portrayed in According to what I was trying to figure out, if it ever showed up in other movies or was referenced in other movies. It may have shown up, but the actual name was only used in this movie as far as I know.
0: I would tend to think that's probably the case because, I mean, we've seen death coaches in other movies, but not this particular folklore version, I don't think.
2: There's a death coach in front of the Haunted Mansion in Walt Disney World in the Magic Kingdom.
0: Yes, there is. And in Disneyland. Oh, there's one in front of the haunted mansion there as well. Now
1: isn't it interesting though that you can beat off a banshee with with either a lantern or a shovel? (laughs) That was that
0: was interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't seem possible.
1: So uh, this movie was actually considered um, a pinnacle moment for special effects because of the Banshee and the Coach and um, the Puka special effects because back then they didn't have computer graphics. They didn't even have green screens yet, which was something that came into effect into the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And so they would um, – once you have this, it's not like they could do any of that other special stuff. So this was considered cool and awesome. It now is The cool. effects
2: all – yeah, the effects all throughout the movie were stunning. I mean, for 1959, just alone in that first scene, seeing Darby talking to King Brian was unbelievable. It was like, wow, how are they doing this for back then, you know?
0: Well, it's it's interesting because, like, you we say that it was, you know, the effects changed since then. But, you know, most of the time when you see uh Darby talking to King Brian a lot of the time you just you're seeing a shot of Darby just sitting farther away and the camera is moved to 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 give the perspective that King Brian is much smaller and we say that's that's you know oh well they wouldn't do something like that now but that's what they did in the Lord of the Rings films for the hobbits right in right. the hobbits a lot of candles. perspective in this
1: movie so there's this uh the scene where they're in the when King Brian is trying to talk to them to convince them to fall in love while they're sleeping, okay? He, um, when, when King Brian is climbing up onto Katie's bed, what they actually do is that's a ladder, okay? And it's it's actually two separate sets built where Katie's lying in one half of the bed that's taken, and they're actually filming um, on a giant ladder bed piece. Cause, and if you look really closely at it in the scene, you'll actually see the rungs of the
0: ladder designed to look like part of the bed. So the Death Coach comes down. The Banshee basically signals for the death coach and the death coach comes down from the sky and Darby uses his final wish to King Brian and says that it, he would, he wants to go in his daughter's place, which is just a fantastic sacrifice moment. Um, it's, it's so emotional and a very good piece of the film. He climbs into the death coach and is, it is going off and just the emotion on his face is very, very touching. And King Brian shows up next to him and the whole film he and King Brian have been sort of sparring, right? They've been at each other, you know, trying to trick each other and all this kind of stuff. But underneath that, there's definitely a friendship there that that the two of them enjoy jousting with each other. They enjoy the back and forth. And, and Brian makes mention of that here. He says, you know, you've been a worthy adversary, Darby. Well, um, even
1: before they get in – even before he gets in the coach – um, he says that he he actually doesn't grant the wish right away. He says, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Kind of, they have that kind of right. conversation. Yeah, so, wish is not instantly granted. Wish is really up to the granter.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> and but but what the the really the great part of the film, and we talked about it earlier, how uh brian King Brian tricked Darby early on in the film in the in the in the flashback into making a fourth wish, which negated the previous wishes. well, he does that again here he he says uh he he builds up the friendship between the two of them, and he talks about you know how he's been a worthy adversary, and he's enjoyed their back and forth, and uh Darby makes a wish. And quote unquote wishes that King Brian could join him in the afterlife, and King Brian immediately starts laughing and kicks Darby out of the coach because that wish has negated all the other wishes. I thought that was just a fantastic, fantastic scene. Just the, that was the, a
2: perfect scene. It's oh. like you, you go from being so sad one minute to the next, you're laughing with King Brian. It's it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster to be sure. I mean, because I I know, you know, I was when when he made the choice to get into the coach instead of Katie. I thought, gosh, I didn't remember. You know, I hadn't seen the film in so long. I thought, oh my gosh, does he actually die? Because he, he, I just loved his character so much that you just did not want to see that happen. Right. Yeah, like you
1: said in the beginning of all this, it's he's he's just like the perfect guy to be playing this perfect role in this
0: awesome little movie. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. So, and of course, everything ends up happily ever after at that point. Um, there's a fun little postscript after that where, uh, Mike, of course, Katie gets well, Michael, and they, and, and they decide to, uh, to depart arm in arm together. Uh, but before that, there's a scene where Pony is in the pub uh, and Michael comes in to get revenge. And earlier in the film, Katie had stepped in between Pony and Michael saying that Pony would crush him. Uh, so, of course, Michael, being Sean Connery and being a good Irish lad, who's actually Scottish, um, he steps in and uh, decides to challenge Pony to a quick fight. And uh, although Pony gets the best of him for a minute, he ends up knocking Pony cold in, in the pub and, and walking out with Katie to sing Pretty Irish Girl one more time. But it's not actually them singing. No. Shh.
1: Well, actually, sh- he- she sings Pretty Irish Boy. He sings Pretty Irish Girl.
0: Correct. But that—that's Darby O'Gill.
1: Well, and the movie. the movie ends with a wink, like other Disney movies. They always kind of, you know, he gives a little. Darby gives a little wink at the end, and that's kind of sort of when they roll the credits.
0: Right. I I, I loved it. I mean, I, I just I don't, I don't know what else to say about the film, but it, it. Um, I mean, there's some interesting things in here that we've talked about throughout. But um, one of we talked about the Irish brogues in the film, and and it's very thick Irish accents in some cases. But it's still understandable. You know, Darby – I had one one moment in the film that you talked about, Bree, where he's being dragged out of the pub where I had a little trouble understanding him. But I think that was kind of the point.
2: Right. You yeah, you were supposed to be a little confused, but the whole point is to laugh because right. you don't understand what he's saying.
0: Right. But they actually they did two uh, they did two versions of the film's soundtrack. So um, the Irish brogues were a little difficult for people to understand. So they actually dubbed in um, voice actors in English for, for Darby, for uh, Pony's mother, for King Brian, for some of the leprechauns. That's not the version that we watched, so we have the original the original voices now. But but when the when it was released, um, they did use some alternatives alternative voices, which I thought was interesting because I think oh. that loses some of the charm. Actually, I think yeah. the, the the Irish accents make make a big difference.
2: I was diagnosing this in my head, and I'm pretty sure that Sean Connery represents Han Solo, Janet Monroe represents Princess Leia, of course, and. Albert Sharp represents Yoda.
0: Interesting, interesting indeed.
2: Okay. Okay. And and
1: does that make the priest Obi Wan Kenobi?
2: I think so. And Jimmy O'Day, I'm pretty sure would be um, Chewbacca.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying.
1: Now, one thing we didn't mention, by the way, was um, that Robert Stevenson was the director for this. Now, he's a a director for just tons of great Disney movies. He is. I mean, he's like the quintessential Disney director right there.
0: Oh, he he directed everything. I mean, all the great live-action films that you think of with Disney when Walt was alive, he directed. I mean, Mary Poppins, The Love Bug, uh, this film, uh, just about anything. I mean, uh, even some after... Uh, after Walt's death, he directed, you know, Noms and Broomsticks. He directed. He, uh, I I could not believe when I when I looked through his filmography that he has not won some sort of lifetime achievement or Oscar or anything. I, I I would have thought that he would have, and maybe he has, and I just it's not listed anywhere that I can find. But you look at this list of films, and you're talking about Old Yeller. Um, this film. Uh, the the flubber films, Mary Poppins, uh, the Love Bug I mentioned, the uh, Shaggy D A, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He directed the the nineteen forty four version of Jane Eyre. You know, so it wasn't just the Disney films. I mean, he directed King Solomon's Minds, the nineteen thirty seven film. I mean, these are these are big movies.
1: Well, and, not just that, but but they were also um, primarily – they were – they were uh, tw- I think they comprised about 25, 26 total episodes of The Wonderful World of Color in the 70s. Yeah. Right? So – and this which, which The Wonderful World of Color, Color would play like part of the movie and do a documentary around the part of the movie that they were playing, and then you'd like watch the other half of it the next week, unless it was a short movie, then it would just be
0: one week. So – but it, it just astounds me. I mean, the man directed so many amazing movies. And uh, I, as far as I can tell, never you know, never was awarded uh, anything except a nomination for Best Director for Mary Poppins. He didn't win, but he was nominated. He won some CN40 awards in 1973
1: for Knobs and Broomsticks.
0: Interesting. Okay. It was some Spanish film. Some Spanish hmm. award, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, he, I, I feel like the man should have some sort of a lifetime achievement award. You know?
1: by, by, by the way, also directed some episodes of the Zorro series. Brian, I just <gasps> figured because you're here and it's Zorro, I would have to mention he directed that. he
0: directed the three the first three episodes of the Zorro series, which were then combined into the film Sign of Zorro. Oh, see, which we'll get know, to.
2: What's the name? What's the name of the actor who played Zorro?
0: Guy Williams.
2: My dad was watching an episode of Bonanza today, and Guy Williams appeared. And my dad called me in the room quick and said, "Look, look! It's it's Guy Williams! It's Zorro!" And I immediately thought of you, Ryan, Thank and you. I started singing a fox so cunning and free.
0: <laughs> we we in this household we have family Zorro night on Sunday nights. We watch Zorro. Okay. <laughs> every, um, every Sunday, every Sunday. That's it brings awesome. the family together. It it does. I'm telling you, people. If you if you can find the complete Zorro series highly recommend it i have not i have yet to find a bad episode and it holds up too very well uh but we are not talking about zoro we are talking about darby o'gill and the little <laughs> People. Uh, but per our usual we have digressed so how I many uh, movies is there, have
1: you spoiled tonight
0: <laughs> just high school musical yep.
2: and <laughs> <That's all. laughs> not that really too much
0: no know. just the fact that you know zach Efron doesn't sing in the movie but you know If you don't know that by now, then your teenage dreams deserve to be crushed. Actually, he does in
1: the last movie, I believe. In
0: In the the second second and the third. In the second and third movie, he does. But the first one, he does not. Um, But as I said, if you don't know that by now, your teenage dreams deserve to be crushed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, (laughs) so... Uh, Darby O'Gill is counted among the the best of the of the of the Disney films by by those who who count such things. Leonard Maltin had high praise for it. says it's one of one of the best films. He he actually calls it one of the best fantasies ever put on film, uh, which is a which is high praise indeed. Um, so what what did we think of of Darby O'Gill and the Little People, Bree?
2: I am going to give it a solid four. I thought it was excellent. Um, It was the first time I've ever seen it. So, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. And I'm actually really looking forward to watching it again. While my 48-hour rental is is still in progress via Disney Movies Online. But, um, yeah, no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. The acting was wonderful. Albert Sharp was fantastic. And Kieran Moore melted my heart. So, there you go.
0: (laughs) Yes, Brie is a pony devotee. I am a big pony Suguru fan. All right, Todd, what do you what did you think? I'm also gonna go with a four.
1: I just this is a fun movie. And like I said, the the looks on people's faces, the smiles throughout the movie, it's just like if you're depressed, you can watch this movie and you can just become very happy.
0: I, I agree. I actually am going to give this a four and a half, just like I did The Love Bug. I mean, it's the, there's there's just that little bit of what you would want, uh, a little bit more than I can't define, that you would want to make this a five-star movie. But behind, uh, I had not seen this in forever, like I said. But behind Mary Poppins and The Love Bug, this is, this is a fantastic film. I didn't know what to expect because I hadn't seen it. But, oh, man, I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. I, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I am trying now to track it down on DVD, and I have already sent a note to Disney that, that they need to release this film on Blu-ray. Because I really loved it. Really, really, really loved it. So that is our look at Darby O'Gill and the Little People. We hope you all enjoyed that. So if if you enjoy the show, please listen. Often, uh, download it like six or seven times from five or six different sources. We have direct download. You can find all the, all the places you can get it at um, DisneyFilmProject.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. That helps people find the show. If they start searching for Disney film and there's we have lots of reviews, then people find the show that way. Um, you can keep up with us on Twitter. We mentioned um, if you find the, the Disneyland episode, I uh, – Capturing the leprechauns or something like that. I can't, can't remember what the name of the of the episode was, but if you find that episode, I captured the king of the leprechauns. That's the name of the Disneyland TV episode. So tweet us at Dillsfilm Uh at Dillsfilm Project, rather. Uh that is us on Twitter. And uh you can keep up with us, Todd and myself, uh at touringplans.com. We we blog at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He he provides the chief technical wizardry which allows me to blog. Uh, You can keep up with Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. And until next week, uh, may the road rise to meet you, my friends.
2: And I will say, which I believe means 100,000 welcomes.
0: I'm just going to say, see you later. (laughs) Bye, folks.
1: Bye. Bye.